Hi, I'm Angie Stebinger, and this is Mindful Missionary, Episode 5, How to Have a Difficult Conversation. All missionaries face challenges, lots of challenges. The way you choose to think amid those challenges will determine whether you survive or whether you thrive. This is the podcast where we prepare future missionaries to thrive. What's up, everyone? How are your preparations for your mission coming along? I wonder if you're counting down the weeks or maybe even the days at this point. I hope you're getting super excited. I know I'm really excited for you. And I'm really excited to teach you about this topic today. I really believe it's going to be extremely useful for you on your mission. Today, we're going to be talking about how to have difficult conversations. But before we get into that, let's first just talk about what makes a person difficult to begin with. Let me tell you, what makes people difficult is that we decide to believe that they are. It's the way we decide to interpret their behaviors or the meaning that we give to their behavior. It's how we decide to let it impact our lives. I know this is difficult to believe. We all really want to believe that it's their annoying habits, their hurtful ways that make them difficult. We say things like, he makes me so angry or she's so annoying. But anger and irritation are feelings. And what have we been spending so much time learning in this course? That our feelings are created by, drumroll, our thoughts. I'm sure you're well aware of that by now. That other people can't make us feel angry or annoyed. We feel that way because of our thoughts. Now, we have a hard time believing that or accepting that responsibility because most definitely their behavior can make it easy to trigger thoughts for us that create anger and irritation. So it really does feel like they have the power to make us angry or annoyed, that they are to blame for our feelings. But we're forgetting about that one step in the model, which is the most important step in the model, our thoughts. Remember the model, C-T-F-A-R. Circumstances trigger our thoughts. And in this case, the other person's behavior would go in our circumstance line. And the thoughts we then have about them and their behavior create our feelings. Those feelings are the fuel that drive our actions. And our actions create the results in our lives. And in this case, the result would be how we feel about them or the quality of our relationship with them. I promise this is true, even for that one person that everyone would agree is difficult, that's just impossible to get along with. No matter how many people agree with you, all it means is that they've all chosen to have thoughts that are similar to yours about that person. But it's still the thoughts that we choose that create those feeling, feelings that make us believe they're difficult. It also likely means that people are operating from their lower brain and not their higher brain. Because what comes naturally when we're operating from our lower brain are all of those thoughts that are so easily triggered by that difficult person's behavior. Hopefully, most of you listening are enrolled in the Mindful Missionary course online. If you're not, personally, I totally think you should be. So go check it out at mindfulmissionary.com. 
If you are enrolled, you'll remember what we've learned about the lower brain and the higher brain in our very first class together. When we're operating from our lower brain, it's like our brain driving in autopilot. The lower brain is used for things that we don't really have to put much brain power into, like brushing our teeth, driving to school, eating lunch, things that are hardwired into our memory, things that come naturally to us, like getting angry or annoyed by certain behaviors. The lower brain is also all about seeking immediate pleasure or relief. But we always have access to our higher brains. If we choose to do the work to access that part of our brain that's used for critical thinking, problem solving, and creativity, that part of our brain that helps us forego immediate pleasure or relief for a higher purpose or a long-term goal, this is the part of our brain that we access when we're intentionally choosing what we want to think and feel rather than thinking that other people are to blame for our feelings. Now, one of the reasons this is often challenging to do is because as a species, as humans, we've learned to manipulate, influence, or persuade other people, and we're pretty darn good at it. In fact, we start learning to manipulate people at a very young age. All right, I know you've all seen this. Imagine the toddler manipulating his parent by crying and throwing a temper tantrum. I'm sure you've seen it. A parent says no, the crying and tantrum begins, and if this child is really determined, he'll persist until that parent gives in. Now, does that child really have control over their parent's actions? Of course not. What it means is that parent reacted to the child's behavior with thoughts like, This isn't worth it. It's just easier to give them what they want than to listen to this crying. Or if they're in public, maybe it was thoughts like, this is embarrassing. Let's just make this stop as soon as possible, which is all natural. I've certainly been there and done that myself. But what if instead that parent practiced some mental willpower to access that higher part of the brain that remembers what the long-term goals are? They might have had thoughts like, it's fine. He can cry all he wants to. I'm not going to do the easy thing and cave. This is just a part of the process of teaching kids about limits. He'll eventually learn that no means no. Is it easier when a child is screaming and crying to just give in? Of course it is. Is it natural for every parent to do so at times? Absolutely. But when we have the discipline to manage our minds and not be manipulated or persuaded by that toddler, that's when we intentionally choose how we want to react. Is it more challenging for us to have kind and compassionate thoughts towards people who are mean and spiteful? Absolutely. Is it more difficult to treat someone with respect when they don't respect you? Of course it is. But just like it's the parent's responsibility to stick to their guns and show up as a responsible and calm parent, even when their child is throwing a fit, ultimately, it's our responsibility to show up as a mature, kind, and respectful person, even when we're dealing with someone who isn't behaving that way themselves. It's all a part of learning self-control, self-mastery, learning to manage our minds and take responsibility for our own feelings and actions. Ultimately, 
It's all a part of learning to be more Christ-like. Now, on to the main topic for today. An important part of taking responsibility for the role we play in our relationships is being willing to have difficult conversations. Just this past week, one of my kids was complaining that they'd been assigned to work with a classmate on a group project and that the person wasn't doing his part. I'm sure you can all relate to this. What I tried to show my daughter was that she could choose to pick up the slack for him, but that she couldn't blame him for making her feel frustrated or angry, that she was making a choice to do the work, that she did have a choice, that it might require having a difficult or uncomfortable conversation with her classmate, but that's what's often required in relationships. If doing all the work was not working for her, and making her feel frustrated and annoyed, she'd have to talk to him about it. And she might have to be really clear about what her expectations were, and then let him know what she would do if he didn't meet those expectations. That conversation might sound something like this. Hey, listen, it's a little uncomfortable uncomfortable for me to say this to you, and it might be uncomfortable for you to hear it, But I want working together on this project to be a good experience for both of us, so I'm just going to say it. Last night, you were supposed to do the research on fill in the blank, and you didn't. We can't move forward on this project until you do, because I'm not willing to do your share of the work. I'm sure you understand that it's only fair for us to share the workload, so I'm kind of confused at why you didn't do it. If you aren't willing to do it, It's just not going to work out for us to work together on this project. We're totally friends. I'm just not willing to do your share of the work, and I'm concerned that we'll fail the project. So if you don't get the research done tonight and bring it to school tomorrow, I'll have to explain to the teacher what's going on and maybe even ask for a new partner. Now, not an easy conversation to have, right? It definitely requires some courage and resolve. But if her partner isn't doing his share and it's a problem for her, it's her job to communicate that. She has to take ownership for her emotions and her role in the partnership and be willing to have that uncomfortable conversation. Now, the other option would be for her to decide she just doesn't want to have that conversation for whatever reason, but she then has to accept that she can't blame her partner for how she's feeling. Let's say that maybe she's just not brave enough to do it then she might have to remind herself as she's doing his share of the work, I'm choosing to do this because it's easier than having an uncomfortable conversation with him. Or maybe she knows that this particular classmate is going through a rough time. Maybe she's aware of some struggle his family is going through or that he has some health challenges. Maybe he's just distraught over a breakup. Whatever the reason is, if she thinks it's a good enough excuse for him not to carry his weight and she chooses just to do the work for him, then rather than being resentful towards him, when her brain starts to offer her thoughts like, this isn't fair, I shouldn't have to do all the work, then she'll have to redirect it to a thought like, this is a choice I'm making. I'm not going to resent him for it. I'm willing to do this because this is the kind of friend I want to be. Do you see how with either option, whether she chooses to have the difficult conversation or not, she has to take ownership of her experience and feelings. 
So since we've established that healthy relationships require us to be willing to have difficult conversations, I'm going to teach you how to do that. And I've broken this down into four steps. If you're enrolled in the Mindful Missionary course, you're going to get a worksheet that will help prepare you for your next difficult conversation and a printout with these steps that you can take with you on your mission. If you aren't enrolled in the course, I highly suggest you grab a pen and paper to write these steps down. The first step is to examine your motives and set your goal. If we're really honest, what we usually want to accomplish by having a difficult conversation is for the other person to change in some way. I don't suggest you make that your end goal because you're you're likely setting yourself up to fail. After all, we can't control other people. So make sure that your end goal or objective is 100% in your control. Let's look at the example with my daughter. She shouldn't make her end goal be that her partner step up and do his share of the work and do it well. She doesn't get to control him. A better goal for the conversation might be for her to communicate the problem with him in a calm way and in a way that's open and honest and to make sure she's clear about what she expects from him and what she'll do if her expectations aren't met. Do you see how she has control over every aspect of that goal? Be calm, be honest, be clear and direct. So, First, establish your objective and make sure the outcome you're going for is completely within your control. Now, I also want to warn you about going into a conversation with someone believing that what you share with them will change their behavior in some way. And once they change that behavior, then you'll feel better about things. So often what we secretly want the outcome of a conversation to be is an apology from the other person. We also want them to understand the error of their ways and decide to change their ways. And we think that when all of that happens, then we'll feel better. You don't want to go into a conversation with the goal to communicate to your companion that their actions annoy you or hurt your feelings and that they need to stop. Going into a conversation wanting to change another person is never a great approach. What usually happens when you're critical or judgmental of someone? Typically, they become critical or judgmental of you. Remember, human nature is for us to mirror other people's emotions. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't make requests of people or set boundaries with them. We certainly can, and we'll talk about the best way to do that in a minute. But what we can't do is hinge our happiness on whether or not they'll, they comply. We have to take responsibility for how we choose to feel regardless of what they choose to do. So if your end goal is not to change someone's behavior, what is your goal? Ultimately, it should be for you to show up at your best in the relationship. So in the case where your companion is doing something that irritates you or hurts your feelings, your goal might be to be honest about your feelings without blaming your companion for them. To be genuinely genuinely curious about what's going on for them in the situation and to express yourself in a way that's calm and loving. When you approach that companion, it might look something like this. Hey, you know, earlier today when we were doing our weekly planning and you said, whatever, you're the boss. I made it mean that you resent me and I felt hurt. 
I realize I could be reading into this. And I'm sure you don't mean to hurt my feelings, but I'm not quite sure what to think of what you said. Maybe you can help me understand what you meant by that. When your reason is not to change them, but to gain some understanding about what's going on for them and for them to understand what's going on for you, you're far more likely to have a productive conversation. Now, in order to do this, you're going to need to run some models like we've learned to do in class and really get clear about what's going on in your mind. You'll have to be willing to question your thoughts and find some more useful thoughts that will, pre- that will prepare you for the conversation. If your initial thought is, he's such a jerk, you might have to choose to redirect to something like, it's possible that I'm reading into things. It's possible that I've misunderstood what he meant by that. It's possible he has some valid reasons for why he said that or did what he did. I wonder what they could be. In this process of running models, you may even determine that the conversation isn't even necessary after all, that changing the way you're telling the story and the evidence you're looking for is enough to solve the problem. Now, initially, that might feel a little disappointing because, again, the natural man in all of us likes to believe that other people are the source of our problems. But when you get really honest, you sometimes find out it's only you that needs to make a change. Let me share an example with you from my life that illustrates what that might look like. Those of you who've been listening to these podcasts already know that our family moved to a small town in Mexico a few years ago and that adapting to this move, well, (laughs) it's been a struggle for me. I should also tell you that I have two other siblings who moved here with their families as well in recent years, who've also been going through that process of adapting. So quite often when we got together as a family, the topic of our conversations would gravitate towards discussing the latest challenges we were facing living here. It might be some frustration about how business is done here. Um, maybe the customer service, or I should say lack of quality customer service we'd encountered that week. Uh, Maybe a frustration with one of the schools our children attend, or even just the lack of water pressure in our homes, a number of things that were frustrations for us. And when someone would bring up something like this, what typically happened was that everyone would jump on board and we'd all sort of start venting and commiserating together. Everyone that is, except my dad. He would typically take on the role of defending the the opposing argument. He would defend the school or Mexico or whatever it was that we were complaining about. And in essence, it felt like he would try to tell us that we were wrong for feeling the way that we did. Now, in defense of my dad, whom I totally love, he's awesome. You should know that he's lived all but three of his 67 years of life here. So he loves this place and he doesn't have much experience living elsewhere. So it makes sense that he wouldn't really be able to relate to the struggles we were having. And it seemed to really bother him when we took, when we would um, find fault about living here in any way. It felt almost as if he was taking it personally even when none of our our complaints had anything to do with him. Well, what happened over time was that we learned to start censoring our conversations when my dad was around, which meant that we did a lot of censoring. Now, 
As you can imagine, this didn't go over very well for me. I had all sorts of thoughts about how he shouldn't react that way, that it was only natural for us to have frustrations and want to get, get, get them off our chests, that when we were together as a family, we shouldn't have to censor ourselves. Well, eventually I decided that I would talk to my dad about this. So I went through the steps of preparing for a difficult conversation that I'm going to teach you here. I wanted to approach it with the best possible feelings and especially with a desire to improve our relationship. So I planned what I would say really carefully. I tried to follow all of the steps, except that I sort of just glazed over this part about examining my motives. I thought my motives were good. I wanted our family to feel more comfortable sharing our genuine feelings, and I wanted to not harbor any resentment towards my dad. Now, thankfully, before I had this conversation, I had Jody Moore, who later trained me to teach this course to you, do some coaching with me. And what she helped me see was amazing. Remember how we talked about how being able to see things clearly and objectively when you're in the thick of it yourself can be challenging? How it's like trying to read the label of a bottle from inside the bottle and having someone on the outside who knows these skills and tools to to help you work through it can really be valuable. Well, this was for sure the case with me in this instance. What Jody helped me see changed things completely for me. First, she helped me see what my end goal really was. And hopefully some of you are recognizing the error of my thinking as well. I was telling myself that my goal was for me to drop the resentment and for all of us to be more comfortable and to stop to, ha- to be able to stop censoring in our conversations with my dad. But the way that I thought that was all going to happen was all about changing my dad somehow which meant I was totally setting myself up to fail, right? Because we don't get to control other people. That was the first thing she t- she showed me. But she also showed me how I wasn't being honest about my role in all of this. My dad wasn't making me censor my conversations. He wasn't saying things like, you can't speak that way about Mexico in my home or anything like that. We were all making the choice to censor because it was more comfortable than the alternative, but it was still our choice. So that was the next thing I needed to own in order to accept my role. And just that little realization wiggled a little something loose in my brain. But then as we went deeper, she showed me something else that was really eye-opening. She helped me see that what I wanted was to not, what I wanted was to not have to censor myself in conversations with my dad. And the way that I wanted that to happen was for my dad to censor himself. I'm pausing for dramatic effect here on purpose. Isn't that crazy? The very thing I wanted to stop doing, I was going to ask him to start doing. This blew my mind. And then she showed me how all of us getting together and commiserating and venting about living in Mexico might be giving us a sense of relief, but that it truly wasn't helping us. 
all it was doing was reinforcing that belief that living here was so difficult. Remember, what you decide to make the title of your story is what your mind sets out to find evidence for. And ultimately, that becomes the reality for you create for yourself. Instead, Jody suggested that maybe I should just decide to fall in love with this place where I live. Now, I'm going to be honest. At first, this whole conversation felt like a slap in the face. <laughs> I got off the phone with Jody and I thought, I don't like this lady. <laughs> by the way, this was the first time I'd ever been coached by her or any life coach. And it wasn't fun or comfortable for me at all. But guess what? It was just what I needed to hear. And after I let it all sort of settle for a while, I realized that she was 100% right about all of it. And guess what happened to that conversation I had planned? You guessed it. It never happened. (laughs) But guess what did happen? I was able to completely drop that resentment I was feeling towards my dad. It was amazing how differently I felt toward him. And yes, I still censor myself from time to time. But do you know what? I don't resent him for it. I just own that I'm making that choice because that's how I want to show up in our relationship. And I accept or I accepted Jody's challenge to just try and fall in love with this place, and I have. It has some flaws, sure, but I truly love living here anyway. And this is why I'm so passionate about sharing this work, because I know it's real, you guys, that nothing in our lives has to change in order for us to feel better, in order for us to find peace and contentment, that it's all a story we're telling ourselves. And when we change the way we tell the story, we change the way we experience our lives without needing anyone or anything to change at all. All right, so this is why the very first step is to really get clear about your motives. Now, you likely won't have access to anyone who understands these tools um, to to help you really see what's going on in your brains when you're on your mission. But this is where I'm going to really put in a plug for coming to our live calls. There are two scheduled every month, and as part of this course, you're supposed to attend at least two calls. Now, even if I don't get a chance to work with you directly on those calls, watching from outside the bottle as other people practice using the model on their messes in their lives is going to be extremely helpful. Honestly, this is where the magic happens. Until you start really applying these skills and tools, and in particular, the model, to things happening in your life, it's all just sort of cool information that you're learning. But understanding it alone won't do a whole lot for you, unfortunately. When you start to really apply it, that's when it becomes life-changing. And by the way, if you're maybe a little shy or hesitant about doing this in a group on my website... I have an option for you on the website for you to sign up to work with me one-on-one if you'd like to. I'm always happy to be that person outside the bottle for you. And I'll try to be a little more gentle with you than Jody was with me. <laughs> Hopefully you won't hang up the phone feeling like you never want to talk to me again. <laughs> I love Jody. Uh, she, 
you are amazing, Jody, and I love you. And she really is amazing at what she does. And I want to be able to help you in that way as well. But again, once you're on your mission, you may not have access to me or anyone else to help you through this. But what you will have is the Lord's help. You'll have an added measure of the Spirit as a missionary. And I really believe that when you're trying to do this work and you're sincere about it, the Spirit will step in and be your teacher and help you see things as they truly are. And when you do, you may realize, like I did, that the conversation isn't necessary at all in the end. But if you get clear about what's going on in your brain and you still want to have the conversation, make sure your end goal is to communicate honestly and calmly to increase understanding between the two of you and not because you just want to change the other person. All right, let's move on to step number two. But listen, don't start to worry, guys. I promise that getting through these last steps is not going to take nearly as long as the first one. (laughs) Hang with me. But this is good stuff, isn't it? I really think it's going to help you on your missions immensely. So stick with me. All right. Step number two is to find some good fuel for your conversation. If we're looking at the model, the conversation is going to go in your action line. Remember that our actions are always fueled by our feelings. Circumstance, thought, feeling, action, result. That's the model. It's critical that the fuel or emotions driving the conversation are useful. I'm sure you've heard the expression, it's not what you say, but how you say it that matters most. And this is true. How you say it is all determined by what emotions are fueling you. Think about a parent who's speaking out of anger versus a parent who's expressing genuine concern. When it's late and you're not answering my texts, I get really worried. Can you tell I've had some practice with that parenting style? (laughs) Or when it's late and you're not answering my texts, I get really worried. Exact same words, completely different feeling, right? So before you decide to have a difficult conversation, make sure you've done the work to get them to the most useful emotions you can. So what are the most useful emotions for a difficult conversation? Certainly love and respect are at the top of that list. And this includes love and respect for yourself as well as for the other person. If you're not able to get to love and respect, you need to at least get to one of what I call the three C's, which are curiosity, confusion, and concern. You need to be genuinely curious or confused about the other person's behavior. I wonder why he does that. What might be going on for him? Or can you get to a place where you're genuinely concerned about how that behavior might affect one of three things, the other person, yourself, or your relationship? Being curious, confused, and concerned is going to be far more useful than going into a conversation feeling angry, defensive, and critical. Remember what we learned about mirroring emotions in our class. It's human nature to mirror other people's emotions. It's what comes naturally. So when you start to blame someone, they tend to want to blame you back. 
When you're angry with someone, typically they become angry with you. When you defend yourself, they want to defend their position. When you're critical of them, they become critical of you. It's just what happens when we're operating from our lower brains, which is the default setting for our brains. So how do you get to those emotions? You'll need to do some thought work. You'll need to run some models to really discover what your subconscious thoughts are. And once you've determined what your unintentional models are, pull out the printout that I made for you to remind you of some of the tools we learned in class and decide which one of them will help you find the most useful thoughts for your intentional models. Once you like your reasons for having the conversation and you get to some useful fuel for it, then you're ready to plan the conversation. But don't do it until you are. You may think that you can fake genuine concern or confusion, or that you can fake love and respect, but you can't. As human beings, we're all experts at reading other human beings, their energy, vibe, tone, body language, all of it. So here are a couple of thoughts. These are some of my favorites that sometimes help me get to those better emotions. They're doing the best they know how, even if their best isn't very good. Even if you best, even if you think their best is terrible. Or I wonder what's going on for them. I have no idea what it's like to be them, what struggles or insecurities they might have. Here's another one. This person is in my life for me. This is an opportunity for me to learn and grow and become more Christ-like. All right. Step three is to plan what you'll say and practice it. I find that if I start the conversation by being honest about the discomfort, it serves as kind of a fair warning to them that this isn't going to be comfortable, but it also lets them know that I'm being genuine and honest. Here's what that might look like. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about something that's been bothering me, and it might be a little bit awkward and uncomfortable for both of us, but I really care about our relationship and think it's important for us to be open and honest about things. Next, you'll want to state the problem, but make sure you avoid using generalizations or opinion. Think of this as if you're filling out the circumstance line of your model. If you've already run some models, then you've already done the work of separating the facts or circumstances from your thoughts, which means you've already taken out all of the drama, opinion, and assumptions. So just state the facts and give specific examples whenever you can. Here's here's an example of something you might want to avoid saying. Why do you always get mad at me for making decisions? Do you see the generalization in the always and the opinion in assuming that you know what they're feeling is anger? A much more effective way to begin that conversation would be to say, this morning when we were doing our weekly planning, you said, whatever, you're the boss. Notice how you're only stating the facts, no opinion in there at all. Next, you'll want to explain why it's a problem. This is where being curious, confused, or concerned is so much more useful than accusing and being critical. You might say something like this. 
hey, this morning when we were doing our weekly planning and you said, whatever, you're the boss, I made that mean that you resent me for being the senior companion. But I shouldn't assume that I know what you meant by that. Maybe you could help me understand what you mean, because I'm kind of confused. If the purpose of the conversation is just to get some understanding, you may be able to leave it at just that and then practice being a good listener. Remember, if you're genuinely curious, you'll want to listen and try to understand their point of view. Let's look at an, an, another example. Here's an, an example. Oh, I'm stumbling over this word example. Here's an example of an ineffective approach. I feel like you don't care about reaching our goals. We never follow through with them. Now, here's a more effective way you might go about that. Notice how I give a specific example and state only the facts. Last week, we set a goal to spend two hours a day making new contacts. And on Tuesday, we hung out at the Johnson's house after eating lunch with them for almost an hour longer than we're supposed to stay. And we only got one hour of contacting in that day. I'm kind of confused about why we did that. I'd really like to meet our goals, and I know you want to as well. Are you getting the idea? Now, sometimes you'll want to make a request of the other person, like I mentioned earlier. And being really clear about what we expect is important. Often we think it's obvious that we shouldn't have to explain that they should know what we want. Like the example with my daughter and her partner for the school project. Pretty obvious to most people that partners are supposed to share the responsibilities and each is responsible for doing their portion of the work, right? But even if something seems obvious to you, it sometimes still needs to be spelled out for the other person. Because even when they're aware that their behavior isn't ideal, they're not always aware of how it's affecting you or other people. Also, it's an important part of this step to be really clear and direct about what you'll do if they don't comply with your request. In the example I just gave you of lingering an hour after the lunch appointment should have ended, you might want to include what you'll do if that continues to happen. You might say something to your companion like this. Listen, because it's really important for me that we stick to the time limit we've been given for our member visits, if I notice this happening again in the future, I'm just going to remind you that our time is up. Or whatever you decide to do. Maybe you'll say, I'm just going to let the family know we're limited to staying for an hour and excuse us. Do you see how this could be so much more useful Rather than expecting the other person to change, especially if, his, if this isn't the first time you've brought up the concern, you simply let them know what you'll do when the situation arises again. Here's another example. I was visiting with my cousin and asking about some of the challenge she had with companions on her mission, and she told me how she had one companion that was just really touchy-feely and that it was really uncomfortable for her. And I asked her if she ever said anything to her companion about it. And she said, no, I never did. She just kind of put up with it, all of that discomfort, for as long as she could handle it. And eventually told her mission president that she couldn't take working with that sister missionary anymore. And he transferred her. Now, apparently that poor sister missionary went through a lot of companions. I wonder if anyone ever decided to be the one to tell her about her annoying habits. 
even though it might have been hard for her to hear, she probably would have looked back later and appreciated it. And it would have saved a lot of other people from the same discomfort. So let's look at what my, how my cousin might have approached that uncomfortable situation. Here's what she probably would have wanted to say. It really bothers me when you're so touchy-feely. I can't handle it. You've got to stop. But if we follow the steps we've established here, a more effective approach would look like this. Listen, I need to tell you something, and it's a little bit uncomfortable for me to say this, and it might be uncomfortable for you to hear, but I really want us to have the best possible companionship, so I'm just going to say it anyway. I've noticed that you use a lot more physical contact than I'm used to, like the way you hug me several times a day, or rest your shoulder on my rest your head on my shoulder when we're riding on the bus. For some reason it bothers me and it has nothing to do with you. I'm just not comfortable with it. I need a little more space. And I totally love you, but I just wanted to let you know that it's making me really uncomfortable. And if you continue to do it, I'll ask you to stop. But please know that it's nothing personal. That's an uncomfortable conversation to have, right? But sometimes those uncomfortable conversations are just necessary to create comfortable relationships. All right, step number four, the final step is to keep your end goal in mind. Remember, you don't get to create other people's results. You only get to create your own results. Remind yourself that you can't control how the other person reacts or what they think or feel. The only thing you get to control is yourself. So during this conversation, remind yourself that the goal is not for you to show them how wrong they are or to change them. Your goal is to create better understanding between the two of you and to communicate in a way that's calm and kind. When you do that, you can be proud of how you showed up at your best, regardless of how they react. All right. So remember, That learning to have difficult conversations in a constructive way is an important part of having healthy relationships. And learning to do this is going to be so useful to you throughout your entire life. It'll benefit you when you have a difficult boss someday or when you're the boss and have difficult employees. It'll help you when you serve in leadership positions on your mission and in the church afterwards. It'll serve you when you're dating, for sure, and definitely when you're married and when you're a parent. This is a life skill that will improve your relationships throughout your entire life. So when you get that one companion that just gets under your skin, that one that just drives you crazy and you can't wait to get rid of him, think, awesome, I knew this was coming. He's the one or she's the one that I get to practice all of those skills on. This is my chance to really get good at dealing with difficult people and having difficult conversations. This is going to be so good for me. This is an important part of my mission experience. This is the person that's really going to help me learn to be Christ-like. And then shoot me an email on your P-Day and say, I got the one and I'll be so excited for you and I'll start praying for you (laughs) and I'll shoot you back an email with some reminders that you might need. So when these opportunities arise on your mission, don't do what most people do and just put up with things until the next transfer. 
take advantage of the opportunity to practice these skills. Your future spouse and children will thank you for it. And besides, your goal is not just to survive your mission, but to thrive. And that's the work that we're doing in our Mindful Missionary course. If you aren't enrolled, of course, I really think you should be. So go check it out at mindfulmissionary.com. Whew, you made it, guys. I realize this one is a little long-winded today. And I promise to make it up to you on the next podcast. It'll be short and sweet. So have a great day. And as always, watch your thoughts, my friends. There's great power in them.